Mark chapter 2 verse 23 through to chapter 3 verse 6. One Sabbath he was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry, he and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar the high priest and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priests to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. Again he entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, Come here. And he said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm? To save a life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, and said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. According to sydneyiruv.org.au, the Sydney Eruv is created by a combination of natural walls, meaning the South Head Peninsula cliff faces, existing telegraph poles and cables, golf course and park perimeter fencing, and fencing around Bondi and Tamarama beaches. Now, what on earth is an Eruv, I hear you ask? And, and why on earth are we talking about it today? Well, I'm very glad you asked, um, because Orthodox Jews today even today, have very strict rules about what they can and cannot do on the Sabbath. Strict Jewish laws, not God's law that we read in the Old Testament, but their own laws that they've written to supplement it and help, and help them to understand God's law uh, that go alongside the Scriptures. These laws forbid any kind of work on the Sabbath, any kind of lifting or pushing or carrying outside of your home. So what they've done is they've devised an ingenious plan and they've created a communal home with a defining physical boundaries. Right? Some places they just run a wire from pole to pole. Some places they have existing fences which they then connect to the pole which, go, which then has the wire. And so there is an unbroken boundary surrounding this particular area, which is defining their communal home, okay? And if you live within the boundaries of that unbroken, physical, defining line, you are classed as being within your communal home. So, you can quite freely push the pram from your house to a friend's house down the street, provided you don't cross the boundary, because you are still, guess where? in your communal home. Now, I can see some of your faces going, this can't be true. It is true. This is straight out true. 
Now, that is an imperfect explanation of what an aruv is, and there's lots of rules and regulations to go alongside of it, but I think it might give us a little bit of an insight into the sort of thinking that was behind the Pharisees' view of the Sabbath in Jesus' day. There are still people today who live by these binding rules that turn the Sabbath into an intolerable burden, and so they try and create loopholes just simply so they can walk down the street with a set of keys in their pocket because that's carrying something or so that they can carry their child. You see, the problem is they're trying to live by legalism. And when you try to live by legalism, you're always looking for a loophole. And that's essentially what an eruv is. It's a man-made loophole for dealing with a man-made problem, the legalisation of the Sabbath. So... Biblically, what is the Sabbath about? Well, it goes right back to creation. When God created the world, six days God did his creative work, and then on the seventh day he rested. And as God called his chosen people, there, were going to, there was going to be two significant signs that would separate God's people from the rest of the world. The first was circumcision. Um, all of the men would be circumcised. And the second was that his people would observe the Sabbath. And the Lord was pretty serious about this. The Sabbath day, the seventh day, was to be holy. And this is the most important part about the Sabbath day, that it is to be holy. And part of this holiness was for it to be a day of rest. Which is why the scriptures said, do not do any work on the Sabbath. Now, that's not such a bad commandment, is it? Like we sort of think of different commandments and go, oh, that one's a bit of a burden. Oh, that one's a bit of a burden. But when God said, don't do any work on the Sabbath, that's actually not such a bad thing, is it? Who wants to argue against having a day off every week? And biblically, the, the, the Bible doesn't legislate to the nth degree what work is. It's just expected. We know what work is. It's logical. We know when we're working and we know when we're not working. And so the Bible just gives a few examples of, of what work is. It doesn't give a defined list. Uh, but let's just see some of these examples. The first example it gives is farming work. Now, when you're farming, from my experience, the two most critical times for farming would be planting and harvest. Um, some paddocks are what we call Sunday country. Has anybody ever heard that terminology? Sunday country? No? Oh. Sunday country is when you've got various soil types throughout the paddock. And on Saturday, there's patches in the paddock that are too wet to plant. Monday, there's other patches in the paddock that are too dry to plant. So therefore, it gets called Sunday country because you've got to plant it on Sunday. Um, and I know some Christian farmers who, who are quite open that they will not work on any Sunday except for during harvest. Harvest is an exception. Well, what does the Bible say? Well, in the Old Testament, it actually says that at ploughing time and harvest time, basically all farming times, the people of Israel would do no work on the Sabbath. 
So I guess the solution for them would have been to have to increase employment capacity so that they could achieve as much in six days as they would otherwise do in seven. Another example, they were commanded, don't kindle the fire at home. Right, doesn't explain that, but to me that gives me the image of domestic work, like kindling a fire, that's like turning on the stove. Um, it gives me the image that even domestic work, like cooking, was to be suspended for the Sabbath day. Everyone was get, getting to have a rest. It wasn't just the husband had come home and put his feet up and, and expect his wife to wait on him hand and foot, because she had a day off too. And even slaves had a day off in Israel. No buying or selling of goods was to take place on the Sabbath. And in Israel, if a trader broke that rule by opening up to sell his wares on the Sabbath, the people of Israel were not to buy from him. Likewise, the transportation of goods was prohibited. In the book of Numbers, a man is stoned for gathering sticks on the Sabbath. Now, we're not told why he was gathering the sticks. We're not told whether maybe he was making tent poles or, or maybe he was making a bow and arrows or maybe he was making a spear. We're not told, or gathering sticks for the fire. We're not told why he was gathering sticks. But to them, what he was, whatever it was, he was working. And so he's, pun he's the first person that the Bible records as being punished for breaking the Sabbath. You see, the Lord was very serious about the identity of the people of Israel being a people who honour Yahweh by keeping the Sabbath day holy. And for those who broke the Sabbath and worked on the Sabbath, uh, the punishment was death. Now that's, that's pretty severe consequences, isn't it? Let me read from Exodus chapter 31. And Yahweh said to Moses, you are to speak to the people of Israel and say, above all, all right, so above all, like this bit's really, really important. You shall keep my Sabbaths. For this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations, that you may know that I, Yahweh, sanctify you. You shall keep the Sabbath because it is holy for you. Everyone who profanes it shall be put to death. Whoever does any work on it, that soul shall be cut off from among his people. Six days shall work be done. But the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to Yahweh. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day shall be put to death. Therefore, the people of Israel shall keep the Sabbath, observing the Sabbath, throughout their generations, as a covenant forever. It is a sign forever between me and the people of Israel that in six days Yahweh made heaven and earth and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. All right? So this, the Sabbath, was a sign for Israel that they would know that Yahweh sanctifies them. And we're going to be coming back to that a little bit later. All right, so no normal work was to be carried out on the Sabbath. There's pretty serious consequences for those who did so. But if you had a rule like that, you can understand why they'd always be grappling with the question, well, where do we draw the line between work and play? 
Where do we draw the line between vocation and recreation? Where do we draw the line between work where we're earning a living and just normal activities of everyday life? How do you draw that line? And when you're trying to live by legalism, you've always got that problem. Where is the line? How close can I go to the line to make sure that I don't cross over the line? Because, hey, I don't want to cross over that line. So if reaping or harvesting isn't allowed on the Sabbath, were those disciples reaping or harvesting? Is what they did, was that wrong? That when they walked through the paddock, they plucked a few heads of wheat and and rubbed them out like what we did before? Now, if you've ever grown up on a wheat farm like I did, you'll understand very well the difference between work and rubbing out a few heads of wheat to snack on. I'm pretty sure if my previous boss said, right, your job for the day is to do some stick picking in that paddock, but then when he came to check on me, I was next to him next in the other paddock rubbing out a few, few heads of grain and blowing them out and, and eating them, I'm pretty sure my boss would, wouldn't come up to me and say, oh, good work, Michael. I'm pretty sure he'd say, why aren't you over there stick picking? You're supposed to be working instead of slacking off, rubbing out a few heads of grain. To, to me, it's obvious that this wasn't working. But to them, it wasn't so obvious. And if carrying a burden, if the transport of goods is forbidden on the Sabbath, what would constitute a burden? How much can you carry? Can I carry my child? Can I carry the house keys? What can I carry? Years ago, a dear old Christian man came to me because he had a concern. He had observed me mowing my lawn on a Sunday afternoon. And the fact that a pastor of a church would do that was really knocking him about. And I explained to him, well, for me, I've sort of spent a fair lump of my week in the office writing sermons. And and then I've gone and done RE. And then I've gone and visited this person and done this, that thing. and, And I actually haven't spent much time outside during the week. And for me... The chance to get out in the garden and do a little bit of physical activity, that's not work for me. That's recreation. But he just couldn't understand it because he'd always been taught that's work and you don't do that on a Sunday. When I was growing up in Gundawindi as a kid, um, the Presbyterian minister's children were not allowed to have a bash at tennis with us on a Sunday arvo. Now, we weren't having a competition. It wasn't fixtures or, or anything like that. We were just having a bash of tennis. A bit of hit and, hit, hit and giggle. But to their dad, he saw that as work. You're not allowed to play tennis on a Sunday. Where do you draw the line? Where do you draw the line between work and leisure? Last week, Jesus said... You can't put new wine into old wineskins. He said you can't patch an old garment with new cloth. What he was talking about was the incompatibility of religious rules and regulations and ceremonies and acts of legality trying to regulate what is essentially a hard issue. Right? And the presenting issue that we talked about last week was fasting. They had turned fasting into a 
ceremony, a, a religious act that they've had to perform, whereas it's essentially a heart issue. Today's issue is the Sabbath, which is another heart issue. God had given the commandment, don't work, keep the Sabbath holy. But because they were trying to do this legally, they had to have a line. Where's work and where's not work? The boundaries weren't clear enough for them. And so the Pharisees built up a hedge around the law so that they had better and better and better defined boundaries. But at the same time, they had made that law so big and so complex that it had turned the Sabbath into something that had become an intolerable burden. Here's a better way. The prophets foretold a time when the people of God would be filled with the Holy Spirit and the law would be written on our hearts. That's the new wine. But the Pharisees, they weren't living by the Spirit. They were living by legalities. Their heart wasn't right with God and so they wanted to know, where's the boundary? How much work can I do before I break the law? And how close to that line can I go? And because their hearts weren't right with God, they used their man-imposed boundaries to accuse and convict others and even accuse and convict the Son of God himself. Were the disciples of Jesus working when they plucked those heads of grain and rubbed them out? Of course not. What a nonsense that is. But according to the old religious legality, they were. So the Pharisees had to dig at Jesus. What, why are your disciples breaking the law? And Jesus' answer might seem a little bit strange to us. It, it can almost seem like he's giving another example of somebody else doing something wrong, and so therefore what, what we've done isn't so bad, as if two wrongs make a right, but that's not at all what he's saying. The example he gives is of a time when David, um, David, by the way, was what David was called before he became King David. Okay, so this is David before he became king, and a few men who were loyal to him and David were fleeing from King Saul, who was trying to kill them. And David and his men arrive at the city of Nob, and they are desperate for something to eat. They have been running for their lives for ages, and they are desperate for something to eat. And the priest there says, well, look, I haven't got any normal bread. All I've got here for you to eat is this special holy bread that only priests are allowed to eat. But because David and his men met the rules for holiness, apart from being priests, the priest made an exception for them, and he let them eat the bread. And Jesus brings this story up as a reason why it's okay for him and his disciples to pick a few heads of grain. And I believe he's making two points here. The first point is the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And he is demonstrating that the law of need overrides the law of ceremony. Now, for us, even though the early church shifted from worshipping on the seventh day, Saturday, to worshipping on the Lord's day, Sunday, 
if we as Christians are serious about honouring God and having a day off every week, it's important for us to remember that no matter what day we choose to do this, the Sabbath was made for us. We're not made for the Sabbath. Yes, having a day off every week is marvellous. We are designed to have a day off every week. We need to have a seventh day to rest and refresh. Are we better than God? No, we're made in the image of God. And what did God do? God had a day off to rest and refresh. We're actually designed to have time out. We're designed to have a day holy to the Lord every week. But if that day ever becomes for us a rule that we have to live by, we've missed the whole point. Whether your Sabbath is on a Saturday or whether it's on a Sunday or whether it's on another day of the week, it's meant to be a matter of the heart. It's, it's not meant to be a rule where you go, oh, today's the day where I can't do this and I can't do that and I can't do this and I can't do that. It's meant to be a giving of ourselves to God. It's not meant to be a burden. It's meant to be a joy. It's meant to be a blessing. And the second point I believe Jesus was making is the most important point. With his first point, he said something about us. With his second point, he said something about himself. The problem for us humans is we generally get so self-absorbed that we usually make more out of the first point than we do out of the second point. But the second point is actually much more important. So we concentrate on the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And we go, yay! And we concentrate on that. But his second point is much more important. The Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. Now that's a big call. I don't know if you can grasp the revolutionary nature of that statement. Jesus is referring to himself here. The Son of Man is Lord. Do you know who the Jews called Lord? God. The Lord God Almighty. The one whose personal name is Yahweh. But they wouldn't ever say it out of fear that they might just happen to say it the wrong way and break the law and be stoned because of it. We actually live by a leftover of this. Like in our Bibles, you'll notice in the Old Testament, often it'll have the word Lord written in all capitals. Or the word God, written in all capitals. The actual Hebrew there is God's personal name. Yahweh. Yahweh. But the Jews, they would never say God's personal name. So when they were reading that and they saw God's personal name written, they would say the Lord. Just in case they accidentally said Yahweh the wrong way and dishonoured God and then they'd have to be stoned. And so our Bibles today continue that on. So if you didn't know that, wherever you see the word Lord in all capitals or the word God in all capitals, the actual word there is Yahweh. 
And if you don't believe me, have a look at the translation notes in the front of your Bible and it'll tell you the same thing. And here's Jesus saying, I am Lord. Lord, even of the Sabbath. Now, if anybody else was to ever say that, that would be blasphemy. Who's Lord of the Sabbath? God, the Lord God Almighty. You know, we humans, when we ponder the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath, a pretty common way that we process that is for us to behave as if, as if we are Lord of the Sabbath. You hearing what I'm saying? Like, Sunday, that's my day. I have to work for my boss six or five or six days a week. Sunday's my day. It's all about me. But let's not entertain that notion for one minute. We're not Lord of the Sabbath. Who's Lord of the Sabbath? Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. The Sabbath isn't all about us. It's all about Jesus. The Sabbath was made for man to rest. But who do we rest in? We rest in the Lord of the Sabbath, Jesus Christ. Right. Some people wonder why such a good man, someone as nice as Jesus, would ever be hated so much that he'd be nailed to a cross and crucified. Well, it's because Jesus wasn't merely a man. Yes, he was a man, but he is also the Son of God. He was Lord. And so when the Son of God began to speak in a very godlike way, the religious leaders saw it as their duty to stamp him out. So they set a trap. On the Sabbath, there was a man with a withered hand at the synagogue. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. Now, Jesus knew very well what they were doing. Jesus knew very well that they were looking for an opportunity to accuse him. And Jesus could have just stepped back and just not played their game. But it seems pretty clear that he intentionally baited them. He could have very easily said to that man with the withered hand, come and see me tomorrow and we'll sort you out. It's not like it was something that had to critically be done at that moment. But Jesus was wanting to make his point. And so he called the man over to himself and then he asked the Pharisees a question. Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm? To save a life or to kill? Well, of course, the godly answer to that would be to do good. The godly answer to that would be to save a life. You know what the Pharisees said? Nothing. They said absolutely nothing. And you know what makes Jesus angry? It's when the truth is staring us right in the face and we refuse to see it. Jesus looked at those Pharisees with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart. Because that's what a hard heart is. It's when the truth is staring us right in the face and we refuse to see it. Here is Jesus. He's demonstrating to them that he is the son of God by the miracles that he's doing, by the teaching he's been given. 
He's demonstrating that he's the son of God. And he's not only demonstrating, but he is personifying grace and mercy. And the Pharisees are so against him that they won't admit it. Te porosiae tescardias, the hardness of the heart. Jesus said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was restored. There was another mighty miracle of God. But did the Pharisees give glory to God? Of course they didn't. They went out and they immediately held counsel with the Herodians. All right? so, so the Pharisees were the religious bigwigs and the Herodians were the political bigwigs. And together they plotted on how they were best going to destroy Jesus. So let's come back to what it means for Jesus to be Lord of the Sabbath and what it means for us as disciples of Jesus to honour him as Lord of the Sabbath. And I'm going to ask the question, is keeping the Sabbath holy a means of us honouring God? Remember back in Exodus chapter 31, God told Israel the reason for them to keep the Sabbath, that you may know that I, Yahweh, sanctify you. That was back in the Old Testament. And throughout the Old Testament, time and time again, the experiences and the religious ceremonies of Israel were actually looking forward to a time of their fulfillment, a time that would come in the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Sabbath is one of these. The Sabbath and what the Sabbath represents is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Paul explains this very well in his letter to the Hebrews. He explains the whole concept of Sabbath rest and how it is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Uh, Chapter 4 verse 9 says, So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. And Paul explains there in Hebrews that we find God's Sabbath rest through the obedience of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. He's writing to the Hebrews and he's urging them, don't miss this. Don't harden your hearts against God. But believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and find the rest that you've been looking for for all these years, for all these generations through the Sabbath. Because that's what the Sabbath is about. It's looking forward to the day of redemption. It's looking forward to the day when people could truly rest from trying to strive in their own activities and their own keeping of rules and regulations, they didn't have to strive like that anymore because Jesus has paid for all of that on the cross. Now, this is what the Sabbath is all about. 
But of course, that's also what the Pharisees missed. So, the way I see it, no, there is no religious requirement that disciples of Jesus have to have a rest on a Saturday or a Sunday or whatever day you designate as a Sabbath. No, there is no religious requirement or rule preventing disciples of Jesus from buying a bottle of milk or a roast chook on a Sunday. There is no religious requirement. The death and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ has done away with that whole mentality, with that whole mindset that I have to keep these rules, that I can't do this, I can't do that. It's done away with that whole religious requirement. But if it is true that Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath, what's God telling your heart? What does your heart tell you? Knowing that God rested on the seventh day. Knowing that through the blood of Jesus we have been sanctified and made holy. And knowing that Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. What's the Holy Spirit telling your heart about how to keep that day holy for the Lord? I'll tell you what he's telling me. He's telling me to do good on the Sabbath. He's telling me that it's a day to do good. He's telling me that it's a day to worship. He's telling me that it's a day to honour him. He's telling me that it's a day to rest by not working. Except for emergencies, of course, because we're not living by rules. It's a day to rest. And he's telling me to never, ever treat it as a legal requirement or to make, go making legal loopholes to try and get out of it. That's where God's personally taken me. What's the Holy Spirit telling you? I'm not the Holy Spirit, so I'm not going to tell you. But as you live in the Sabbath rest, that is being saved by Jesus Christ, how we honour God on the Sabbath, that's a matter for the heart and a matter for us to respond to the Spirit. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you that you are a God who is not a slave driver who forces us to do, do, do. But you are the God who leads us to rest. I think of that Psalm 23 where David draws the picture of you being the shepherd who leads your, your sheep into these green pastures into this place of rest. And Lord, we just want to confess to you that um, sometimes we wear as a badge of honour 
this thing called busyness, where we feel that we're not achieving or we feel that we're slacking off if we are not doing, doing, doing. But Lord, I want to thank you that in the Lord Jesus Christ, you call us to be, not to do. You call us to be children of the King. And you call us to this place of rest. Lord, we want to thank you for the gift of salvation. We want to thank you that we don't have to try and keep all of these religious rules and regulations and try and find loopholes so that we can make our lives some kind of um, something that can actually be lived. We want to thank you that we don't have to do that because Jesus came to save us from all that. We thank you for the Holy Spirit, the new wine. And we thank you, Lord, for the, for the new wineskin that is Christianity. That as we trust in you, that you relieve us from the burden of striving to be good enough before you. Lord, we also thank you for the physical day of rest that you give us. Lord, help us to honour you in our rest. Help us to do good. Help us to worship. And help us to never, ever become legalists where we judge ourselves and judge others by the day we do or do not afflict ourselves by doing no work. And Lord, I pray that, that we would begin to understand more and more that this is actually a heart issue, that living the day-to-day Christian life is a heart issue. And Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit would do your transformational work in our hearts and that from the heart we would honour you in all that we do and that we would honour you because Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. In Jesus' name, amen.